Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Okay, Christy Penley's here, Ben Sternke's mm-hmm. here, Grab the Leadership hey, Podcast, everybody. I'm Matt Tevi. Well, you got braces, yep. Christy Penley? I did, yeah, look just... at it, I look like I'm, oh, yeah. I'm like 13 on the bottom half of my face. <laughs> yeah, just on the and bottom guys, half. Just I'm on like the, the, like, just four just teeth the there? What is that? Just, no, the, it's all on the whole bottom, The whole bottom, you've got braces. Yeah, braces, uh, I remember. I mean, I had them yeah. when I was 13. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I feel 13 right now. I don't think Paul's kissed me what? since I got them on. Oh, my gosh. It's like, what is going on with my wife? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel bad because I was like that mean mom who like my kids would get their braces tightened. And I'm like, you're fine. You can eat chicken and whatever yeah. the things are. And I'm yeah. like, I just need yogurt, people. <laughs> yeah. All right. Can blend all my food up. Um, is it? what? Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, just Just to straighten up your teeth? Just, no, it's a weird deal. My bottom teeth oh. were hitting my top two teeth. It's a weird thing. They were they were shifting and moving. Oh, and my dentist okay. was like, your top tooth is loose. And he was like, you're going to have to get a veneer. And I'm oh. like, is there any other option? And he's like, let's mm. try to fix the bottom so that it doesn't touch the top. And yeah. like, okay, here we go. Wow. Teeth. Anyway, you, that's not what our listeners wanted to hear, I'm sure. No, here's, no, here's what they sprung that on us. Here's what they want to hear, though. Yeah. We are going mm-hmm. to do a quick uh, quiz, okay? Before we get okay. to this episode, uh, I've known Christy mm. Penley for uh, 20 years, and I've known Ben for uh, 15. Uh, and you mm-hmm. guys met each other, I think, through uh, our mutual friendships, right? Um, I think so. Sort of the matchmaker here. Sure. So pretty, this quiz is how well do you know each ago? other? Oh, okay. boy. And we're going to keep so score. Christy and I are playing. Yes. You're keeping score. Oh, I'm keeping score. And you're the score. host. I'm the host. Welcome you're the host. to Keeping Score. How well How well <laughs> do you know each other with Christy and Ben? Yep. All okay. right. Here we go. Ready? All right. Um, Ready. You get, uh, I want you to, I want, I want, you get an extra point if you answer first. Okay. Oh, so I gosh. want you, I want sure. you to say your name. If if you okay. ha- if you want to answer, that's your buzzer. Okay, that's a, that's how we buzz oh, okay. in. You buzz in by okay. saying your name. My name, Christy. not Christie's name. You say Christy, Christy, and Ben. You say Ben or Benjamin, and then you t- and you mm. give the answer, and you can only answer one time. All right. Okay. Uh, okay. And this is a question. Okay. I'm asking. These are questions you're answering about the other person. So, okay. Where, what, what hometown <laughs> were? You born in? I feel nervous. Ben, I'm buzzing in. Okay, where I was For, born? What hometown was Christy, Christy born in? Ben, Grand Rapids. Wrong. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know. No, I just okay. went with my gut on yeah, that. Yeah, it's close. Say You're close. Sta- okay, Christy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. This, I don't- <laughs> it feels weird to say your name, doesn't it, I Christy? Uh, I don't hey, know. Hey, I'm talking. I think my it's name like is Minnesota. But I don't That's know. That's not city. a town. It is. Yeah. It's. It is it's, Minnesota. It's Minnesota. Oh, that was really close. I could have just. <laughs> that was really close. Christy, I could have just said. I could have just said Michigan then. So All I, right. I actually you could have, but you yeah. didn't. So I think I That's get a half true. a point. Zero points. Well, I think for I each, get a half a point. Zero too, points though. for each of you. Um, how many half pets does the other person have? And. Christy. 
Oh. <laughs> and bonus points if you uh-huh. name the pet's names. The pet's names. Christy. Okay. One. And you give a name? It's like an old lady name. <laughs> <laughs> I think I that's worth half a like, point. It's very true. I think it's, uh, I'm going to guess Ethel. Oh, so close. That's so close. It's Edith. What so is close. It? Oh, <laughs> man. Okay, so Christy. I hey, think we, it's worth half a point for sure. Uh, that, well, I you, think it's worth half a you point. You buzzed in Ethel's early. You, bu- you answered first, so you get two points for that right answer. Ben, do you want mm. to uh, take a stab at either number or names? He does not know the right answer. <laughs> I don't think I do. All right. I'm going to say two. Two pets. Two family pets. I'm going to say family that pets. that's correct. Oh, okay, yay, two family ben, pets. Good job. My, my daughter has a nice. hamster, but I don't count that. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then sometimes there's I like thought, for some reason I thought you had two three dollars. dozen chickens, but not yet, right? Yeah, yeah. that's true. Not, not right no, now. okay. It's not Easter yeah. yet. All right. Uh, okay. Do you know the names of my of my pets? Oh, um, I can't remember the name of your dog. I think I'm just going to go with uh, 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 Tucker. Uh, no. no story. <laughs> Story. That's great. Yeah, she's a cutie. Uh, all right. Uh, favorite music style. Oh gosh. Mm. Chrissy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rock. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's historically probably the right yeah. answer. I like lots of different kinds of music, but I this do is- have a soft spot in my heart uh, for rock music. Uh, the coolest show I went to last year was Jack White. Yeah, just melted my face and off. He's and I loved he's it. Ro- he's rock. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. just straight up rock music. Jack White. Uh, I would say, Christy, um, your favorite kind of music is <laughs> Bette Midler. <laughs> just all the songs by Bette Midler. <laughs> you nailed it. Good yeah. job, Ben. That's a, all right, that's a that's a whole genre. Bette Midler. All right. We're gonna we're gonna keep moving. All right. Favorite okay. kind of exercise. Ben. I'm buzzing in. Christy's favorite kind of exercise is hiking. Huh. This is a hard mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how to answer that. That's not what yeah. I do every no. day as my exercise. Yeah. I do camp gladiator. But it's your favorite. <laughs> camp gladiator? What is that? What is that? What is that? Oh yeah, you know. These know. guns right here that are growing. Oh, I see, right there, I see those know. pipes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um it's like an online thing. You pay oh. and it's great. Um okay. but I would yeah. I don't think I like to hike, but that's not my favorite. Okay. Ben. But okay. I think Ben likes to go to the gym. Mm. I do like to yep. go to the gym. Okay. It's what I do. That's what you do. Is that your so, favorite yeah, exercise? it's his favorite. I, I guess so. Yeah. All right, we're four go questions the, in. We have three questions okay. left. Right now, the score oh, is Ben has one point and Christy yeah. has five points. Christy. All right. Um, it's okay, Ben. You can catch up. All right, Ben. This is, this, here's, a little, here's a little help for you. Has okay. the other person ever had braces? <laughs> <laughs> yes, buzzing in. <laughs> Christy has. She's had braces. Two points for Ben. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, Christy, uh, do you want to answer? Um, let me see your teeth, Ben. <laughs> I'm gonna say yes. Yes. All right, Christy gets it right. Okay. I actually gave it away earlier in the episode. Yeah, you yeah. did. <clears throat> I just was making sure everybody's listening. Uh, oh, all right, two more questions. How long has the other person been married? 
Mm. You have to get with Christy. you have to get within <laughs> two years. That was Edith. <laughs> There's Edith. <That's> Edith. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I'm gonna say twenty five years for Ben. You're really close. It's twenty six. Twenty six years. Okay. Okay. Twenty seven this summer. Uh, I'm gonna say for Christy. I'm gonna say. Nineteen years. <laughs> yes, nineteen years. I. It's gonna be twenty years in like a couple months. Uh, really, I was right. Yes, 19th? you were. I know. Yes, that's great. All right. <clears throat> Final question. <laughs> Why is that funny? <laughs> Final question. <laughs> how many kids? Wait, wait, wait. What's the score? How? How? Like, is this? Like, is this actually a game? Well, it's, it's. He's keeping. Yeah, score. I'm keeping score, Christy. I'll let you know here at the end. He's fudging the numbers a little how bit many, for me. Though, how I many think, kids? So. Does the other person have? This is, I'm buzzing in with Christy. six. Oh, six. four. Hang on a second. But you didn't say Christy your name. Christy said her name. Ben. Sorry. <laughs> Ben's like, so weird buzzing <laughs> in with my name. I, I'm much better with an onomatopoeia, kind of like a bzz, bzz, I, I have to go with Christy first. Christy, how many kids? Okay. Four. Correct. Right. Ben, what do you think for Christy? Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna say. I'm going to say, well, I was going to say six. It does change but I, I don't periodically. Know. I know. It I'm going to say changed. six because there's one There's one of your kids that I'm not sure his official status, but. This is true. Yes, we have six kids. But You're six right. kids are living in the house. That's right. You, you treat them as kids. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, um, I'm happy to report that you okay. both know each other fairly well. This is good. All Christy, right. Christy, uh, two, four, six, eight, ten points. Christy got 10 points, only didn't know where Ben was born. Although you said Michigan or Minnesota, and it was Rochester. Uh-huh. <laughs> like you were so close. It was like you're trying well, to say Rochester with your mouth, marbles in your mouth. Well, it's not, it's uh, not Rochester. That's something that you actually, yeah, I was not born in Rochester, oh. uh, nor have I ever lived in Rochester, but my family now lives in Rochester. Okay. So oh. I was born in Minneapolis and. Lived most of my get, life in a little town called Fairmont. Fairmont. Maybe I should get to know yep. you. Ben, uh, give me just a moment to count mm-hmm. up all your points. It's going to take a yeah. bit. Yeah. One, just two, three. Get out your abacus. Four, five. Five points. So, Christy, uh, you got twice as many points as Ben. Hey. Good game, Ben. Good game, good, everybody. Good game. Good game. Yeah. Yep. We'll get you next year. <laughs> get you next year. We'll ask the same questions <laughs> next year. I'm gonna I'm gonna study up. <laughs> and hopefully I won't have braces then. Um yeah, yeah. all right. Well, yeah. uh today we've got uh Sean McCain Tierez and Melissa Floor Bixler on the podcast. There were so many areas we didn't get to, Ben. I was reflecting about this with both Melissa and Sean after this podcast. About mm-hmm. there were just other avenues we wanted to explore. But um yeah. I thought it was a lively discussion. It was great. Yeah. I really appreciate both of them. Um, yeah. And their, their, their thoughts about this, is this is like this issue of like thinking about the instinct that we have, you know, for Christian centrism and what that instinct is moving us towards, but then what, what it ends up doing. Like I've been thinking about this for a long time and trying to be able to articulate what's going on, uh, when people articulate things like this. So anyway, um, they were really helpful in terms of bringing some clarity to why the instinct for centrism doesn't actually work mm. like uh, for us as Christians. It actually doesn't, it, it ends up serving the status quo yeah, and uh, yeah. they were really helpful in helping us understand. It doesn't why do is. the work we want it to. And it does right. unhelpful work that we don't intend. 
Right. Yeah. Which is like such a tricky issue to talk about because, yeah, because of those dynamics. Mm-hmm. So, well, anyway. Christy wasn't able to be uh, on this podcast, but uh, no. she gets I'm to listen to along with the rest of us. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Well, here we go. We're joined today by <laughs> Melissa Floor Bixler and the Reverend Dr. Sean McCain Tiras today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Melissa is the pastor of Raleigh Mennonite Church and a graduate of Duke University and Princeton Theological Seminary. Much of her formation has taken place in the Larch community of Portland, Oregon, and she now is the chair of Larch, North Carolina, and a steering committee member in a broad-based organizing in her county there. Melissa's writing has appeared in various publications such as Christian Century, Sojourners, Anabaptist Witness, uh, Faith and Leadership, and she's the author of Fire by Night, Finding God in the Pages of the Old Testament, and How to Have an Enemy, Righteous Anger and the Work of Peace, which we chatted about together a while ago on this podcast. Uh, Reverend Dr. Sean McCain Tiraz is the founding rector of Resurrection Anglican Church in South Austin, Texas. And before that, he helped plant Redeemer Anglican Church in Santa Cruz, California. His doctoral work focused on a practical sacramental missiology. That's a mouthful, Sean. And he currently serves on the Revelation 7-9 Task Force for Justice and Inclusion in the Diocese of the Churches for the Sake of Others. Sean and Melissa, welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here. It's good to be here with y'all too. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Uh, so I, we wanted to have a conversation today on this, I think, increasingly uh, prevalent emerging political position that I hear articulated in Christian spaces uh, known as sort of a third way political engagement or a centristic, uh, centristic political engagement. And then sometimes it's labeled, and we'll talk about this, a fourth way, you know, so it's neither left nor right nor center, but fourth way. And I want to maybe read um, the way this sounds, but before I do that, I want to name maybe my own sort of experience with this real quick by way of context and setting up this conversation. Um, For a majority of my Christian life, I saw myself as apolitical, meaning I, I didn't vote in elections, I thought that elections were sort of below me or beneath me as a Christian. Um, the first time I remember voting in an election was in 2008 for John McCain. I voted for John McCain because I was living in Chicago and I knew Obama would win. And this is what I told myself. This is what, 15 years ago? If I don't vote for John McCain, Barack Obama will think he's got a blank check to do whatever he wants. And I want him to know that at least somebody in Chicago didn't vote for him. So he has to, quote, play nicely, right? And I, I, I think that was my beginning of, I need to temper the abuses or the extremes of both sides. And I kind of lived there for the next five to 10 years. I think 2016, that began to fall apart for me. But for the next eight years or so, that was kind of where I found myself comfortably. And I want to hear from all y'all, maybe your experience with this, 
um, you know, if you want to tear that, what I just said apart, feel free. That's why we do this podcast is so we can be humbled. Uh, but let me just say how this, how this sounds just to set it up. It sounds like this. It sounds like, uh, and I'm pulling this from uh, an, an article, um, by Adam Joyce, um, on Christian centrism, and we'll put this uh, in the show notes. But here's here's some of the way that uh, centrism sounds. Uh, the far right and far left are two sides of the same coin. They're both fundamentalists, extremists with different divisive orthodoxies. Sometimes it sounds like this. I'm pro-life from womb to tomb. So, the right is mad at me sometimes, and the left is mad at me other times, which means I must be doing something right. Basically, I'm not progressive or conservative. I'm a Christian, and Christ is my king. All right, one more, because we've just got to get it. Uh, that's the third way. We've got to get the fourth way here. Uh, the church, here's a quote. Um, the church is not to be found at the center of a left-right political world. The church is to be a species of its own kind, confounding right and left and so-called middle and finding its ID from the center of God's life. All right, so that's a long preamble here. Melissa, I'm going to throw it to you. Um, what? When did you first encounter this idea of centrism? And when you encountered it, was it appealing to you or not? Yeah, I, you know, I, um, I have an interesting relationship to this because I grew up in the Episcopal Church, which considers itself a kind of third way between, you know, kind of some forms of Protestantism and then Catholicism. And then I um, eventually, as an adult, joined the Mennonite Church, which also considers itself a third way. <laughs> so, so I have this um, this pretty deep sort of experience of people trying to look for, uh, like identify two sides and then try to negotiate or try to figure out something else. Um, but I think very, in a very different way from your experience of centrism, what I understood what it meant to be a Mennonite, when we say we're neither Catholic nor Protestant, um, it didn't mean that you were somewhere in the middle. It meant that both Catholics and Protestants are trying to kill you. Um, that it's like that's the root of the tradition, um, and so, so this is, and, and this kind of came in, at the same time um, that I was a student of Stanley Hauerwas, and um, I think I think Stanley has been misconstrued over the years. This sort of he's been sort of co-opted into this sort of like the church is somehow floating above the chaos of this world. Um, but I think if you actually are are true to Howard Wass's work, um, he would say that you know there there is actually some mapping political mapping in our world of of this sort of sense of living into the heart of of Jesus, um, and that is called socialism, right? Like it's it's not as if there isn't um, you know <laughs> yeah. there are secular parables out there to to quote Bart, that like that that offer us some way of connecting our ecclesial lives to the things that are happening in the world. The question is just about, you know, how um how do you make those decisions, right? Um, what are the costs? What are you what are you and Mennonites know this very well, right? Because we've made very costly decisions not to participate um in in particular forms of life um that animate the sect of the empire. Right. Um, yeah. So, so I have, 
I, when I hear centrism, it, it feels very, parts of it feel very strange to me um, because this is really where I cut my theological teeth was in that sort of place between joining the Mennonite church and, and being a student of Stanley's. Sean, how about you? This, these quotes I read, how, how have you encountered or have you encountered this? Did you have a time when it appealed to you? And um, yeah. And do you think this is the reason it appeals to most people or was it a unique reason? Maybe like Melissa shared. Yeah, I've, I think I've experienced it in a few ways, um, especially growing up in a military family um, from Texas, no less, and having a Mexican mom and a white West Texan dad. There's a there's sort of a lot I think built into my experience that I didn't really recognize, couldn't really recognize as between a lot of things. Like people ask you where you're from, and I'm like, I'm not really, I don't know where I'm from. I'm not from somewhere. Um, and so centrism, it, it sort of plays along a similar line um, of um, that appealed to me in, in certain areas of my life that helped me avoid conflict, helped me having to sort of pick a side, but um, also um, resonated with my own story that could be without place and um, and not really like piss anybody off. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and sort of keep the peace in, in false ways, actually. Mm-hmm. Or even to, to come in, it, it was always appealing to me in a more um, intellectual level because it always had a, a centrism, always had an air of like superiority to it. Like, yes, you guys are fighting about these things. Let me just say something here and that'll clear everything up. So I had that kind of appeal as well. And so throughout my life, I think I've always bumped into it and it's always been alluring and tempting in its own ways. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's similar for me. I, I think I, it was appealing because you sort of immediately see the the drawbacks or the, the ways that the American political binary sort of, you know what I mean? Like doesn't work. And it felt appealing to me to, to say, Oh, there's a third way. There's a different way uh, to be Christian. And, and, as on the idea level, it's true. You know what I mean? Like, sure, faith can't be reduced, you know, to the to these binaries. And now, a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, our 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn how to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life that God shares with us. It is a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying out some new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it's helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. Um, I'm curious uh, for the two of you, when did you begin to, both of you have sort of stories of uh, um, sort of coming from this in different ways, coming from this kind of idea, but when did you start to see the problems with centrism or, or third way kind of politics um, or faith? 
Are there relationships, are there situations where these things made themselves known to you? Like, are there sort of liminal moments uh, where this happened? Anything for you? Maybe go back to you, Melissa. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think this is always... I've always felt the tension around this and because even within the Mennonite church as with a lot of churches, you know, there's people have different ideas about things and, and want to get along. And the, the same sort of longing Ben that you heard, I, yeah. I hear in my tradition as well. Right. Um, and, and so this happens all the time, right? We, we, we have conflict about things and, um, and we have to decide how we're going to resolve conflict. Right? Um, that's sort right. of the basis of all, all of this. Um, yeah. And and I, you know, I'm I think about one. Um, this wasn't sort of the first thing I noticed, but this is just one example. Um, when I I got to the church that I serve now, Raleigh Mennonite, I would say that we had a kind of um, soft exclusion of LGBTQ people in our church um, in the sense that the people, they had got, actually gone through as a church, this multi-year process of trying to um, ask this question that was brought to them by someone in the neighborhood. What's, what can LGBTQ folks do and not do in your church? Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, we should talk about this. So they spend years having this conversation and they really make an effort that they're going to clear this up before the new pastor gets there. They do. I come in and I ask people about the decision. And a lot of people have different ideas about the, how that how that decision turned out, it turns out. Um, yeah. There was really this sense of, well, if we don't really take a stand on this, if we don't actually, if we don't, if we're not clear about it, we can sort of keep open the possibilities for people who have different ideas about LGBTQ folks to, to continue to worship in the space together and be together, which is great unless you actually have LGBTQ people in your church um, who actually want their marriages and their children supported and actually want people to be a part of um, helping their relationships thrive. And um, they don't want certain people to opt out of their lives. Um, and and so we had to clarify. The first six months there were spent saying, what do we actually mean um, when, when we say we're an, an affirming church? Um, but I think this happens in all sorts of ways at churches. This, but this is certainly something I think that happens a lot nowadays in the, in the church. Yeah. So I, I hear you saying in that in that example <clears throat> that one of the ways that you you see this breaking down is when it goes from the the level of an idea that seems good, like oh we'd love for people with different ideas to be able to you know uh, worship together, but you you begin to see that uh, it breaks down when all of a sudden the embodied nature of having somebody, it's one thing to have an idea about somebody. It's, it's another thing to sit next to them in church, you know, or to take communion with them or to, or to have them apply to be part of the children's ministry. It's like, okay, well this, this vague idea doesn't work anymore. Does it, you know, like now we have to make some, yeah. Right. These are all materialist realities, right? They all actually touch down eventually in somebody's lives. Yes. And if you're dealing with material realities, you have to talk about power, right? Mm. And I think that that is this very scary word um, that is is actually, I would pinpoint is the, like the, 
<laughs> the center of centrism's problem <laughs> is a power issue mm, yes. um, in a in a lack of desire to do a power analysis um, because yes. that feels very secular. Um, but of course, Jesus <laughs> is doing this all the time, right? Um, right. You know, wh- which one of us will sit at your left and your right, or you know, who will be mm-hmm. the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Right? Jesus is, talks about power all the time, but yeah. we're very anxious about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to return to that, um, that idea, um, that I think, I think that does get to the heart of it for sure. Um, but how about you, Sean, any, any like particular instance for you where you started to realize, Hey, this isn't really working the way I thought it was supposed to. The, the ideas that come to mind, the memories that come to mind about this have to do often with the church. Um, and Melissa, I I really appreciate your point about the, the part that centrism is, uh, has to, has to do with power. We have to reckon with power and we don't want to, because it's, feel secular, but I'd also say oftentimes because it, um, those who can hold the, the center space, that centrist space don't need to analyze power benefit from the way that it's just like, well, we don't need to, you know? Um, and so I think it's helpful to clarify, especially I'm thinking of in Texas, the, um, sort of gun laws that are unbelievable, like ridiculous. Um, and how we've even had people um, carry like open carrying weapons in the church coming forward for Holy Eucharist or saying, Hey, do you want me to bring my, my gun to keep the church safe? And I say, absolutely not. Um, so like, and imagining like, and it, this is like very, very common in Texas. Um, not, I mean, people think you see people wearing guns all the time. You really don't, they hide them, but, but the reality is there and to hold a centrist position there. Um, I think really you clearly see, and we, and we've been, in this, I've been in this predicament, you clearly see like, oh, this is, this is not good to hold a centrist. Like, well, you know, some people are into weapons um, and others aren't, but let's just manage the middle here. It doesn't actually work because you end up still with weapons <laughs> in the room, right? You still end up with the dynamic of power that is now weaponized literally um, and a whole bunch of people who aren't. Um, and not only that, but it, it is transgressing, I think very deeply a value of the people gathered around the crucified God that to be centrist in a arrangement, like about weaponry or guns like that, I think is to offend is to actually be misaligned with the reality of the crucified God that is gathering you there. So it becomes, I think, incoherent. It doesn't even, it doesn't actually even hold up. Um, to hold a centrist space. So I'm just giving like there's weapons. I could talk about politics. Um, it, it, almost every sort of in the last three years, every wave of controversy, um, January 6th, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and protests, it, within every one of those um, headlines, there were there, there's those centrists trying to say, well, hold on a second, everybody calm down. <laughs> but uh and, and and then you're left in a in a predicament as a as a pastor of a church saying, Do you do you um harbor centrism or do you say something? Do you have something to say? Or are, are you here as a sort of chaplain to um the culture wars to try to keep everybody calm? I've certainly felt that as a priest in the last few years in my own body, in my own life, I've felt that. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I hear in this testimony both of you, not trying to collapse the unique things you share, but both of you saying that there, you have to discern how power, what, who has power, how it's being used, and is that work unto the kingdom or not, in order to discern 
you know, is centrism a faithful position or not? Um, one of the things I'd like to spend time doing, though, and I don't, I don't want this to be pedantic. I don't want it to be strained. So if you want to say pass, you can pass. But I, there's an impulse here. <clears throat> I, I, think, I think there's an impulse here that I want to affirm, which is to allow the political binary of the U.S. to contain um, the kingdom only exists on the right or only exists on the left. There's something wise about saying, no, that's, we can't allow the kingdom politic to be co-opted by the political binary of the U.S. system. Um, and the reason I want to say this is because I think a lot of the third-way centrist people I come into contact with grew up in a religious right, moral majority, uh, culture war household. And they have, I mean, I don't want to be too um, exaggerated about this, but they have sort of this religious PTSD with that. Like, they have this reactivity to a staunch partisan, no, we have six months to work out our position on affirming position, and, and I'm not going to, like, go on as a pastor until we do this. They have, like, this reactivity to, like, drawing those lines because of how it was drawn for them as kids, you know, and the, and the work they saw the culture war do. And so, I'm sympathetic to that as well, people not wanting... People having the, – the only way they, they experience of like holding a line or standing up was in a toxic or abusive way. And so now they're retreating to centrism as away from harm, away from what yeah. they've experienced as injury. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to agree with that sympathetic um, telling of the narrative. I, I guess I just throw that out to say, what, what, what do you want to affirm about how the kingdom politic isn't beholden to the political binary? Do you have thoughts on that? Is that something you would advocate for or would you push back on that? Oh, I mean, it's absolutely true, right? I mean, yes, Jesus is not a Democrat or a Republican. <laughs> that is, just feels like a very, like, I and, and I think um, it, in some ways, I think just I've been in the Mennonite church for most of my life now. It, it, it feels a little strange to even have to say that out loud. Um, but if that's, if that's important, if that's helpful to say that, that's great. I think the, the, just this, the question is then, so what? <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Um, we've done this descriptive work of that, that this is true. Um, that there are the, I mean, and this also comes from someone who is fairly sectarian. Um, you know, I, I do like, we don't say the pledge of allegiance in, in, our house or as part of our church, we don't take oaths, right? Like we, um, we don't join the military. Um, and so, so I do think that I have this impulse within me or that, that certainly empathizes with that position. Um, and yet has never transitioned into, well, that means that what we have is Eucharist or Sunday morning worship where we, and that's sort of the end of the story. I don't know. Sean, do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I also think that, that that statement is true, but I often hear it from people and it is often, it functions in spaces that allow for a sort of suspended middle that just like, um, that allows people to, how much it's, it's sort of like, we don't have to commit. So we don't have to really get right. our hands dirty here. We can just wait it out. And that kind of, hey, be patient, that waiting thing is, again, a sort of exercise of, of privilege for those for whom this decision does not impact immediately. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, those who afford to wait, those who can afford to be in a suspended middle. I hear that from them. And so I think, Melissa, you're right. Like, so what the question, it's true. The question then becomes, so then what do we do? What, what do we think then about this policy? Let's get concrete about these particular things. Yes. Um, and I, and I, and I think that people, the next step is really interesting because then when you start to recognize certain policies that more resemble the kingdom than the other side, then you get this reaction from people like, well, I thought we weren't going to be, uh, pick up that political platform. I thought we were neither platform. Um, and so the, even the, the concrete, what do we do next? Started to identify those things. Um, it, it, you there's like an anxiety of people that comes out like, oh my gosh, we're starting to become a political party now. Mm-hmm. We're aligning ourselves with Democrats or Republicans. We said we wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, that's, I mean, that's where the work is. We have to keep pressing into those particular things. And I think I would, I feel convicted to say resisting those sort of true theologically true statements that function as like stalling or um, a delay to prevent us from descending into those particular decisions mm-hmm. that turn at work, you know? Yeah. Can I, <clears throat> yeah. So that, that comment, then maybe we can pivot into this conversation about power. Um, because what, what I'm thinking of Sean, as you say, that is um, this quote, um, famous quote from Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, where he says, I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizens counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, uh, which is the presence of justice. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wonder if we can pivot then to this impulse that you've named, Sean, that like the centrist position assumes the status quo is good. Things are good. We're cool, right? Or this position of... I don't really want to get involved in, um, you know, getting really brass tacks on on how, how we how we are a congregation made up of LGBTQ people. Let's just keep it nice, loosey goosey, so nobody gets offended, nobody gets hurt. Right, this kind of white moderate impulse. Um, let's let's talk more about like what's how do we discern power and know like what to stand up for, what's worth throwing down for and what we can bear difference in. What are some of the ways we can tell what's worth taking a position on? And then where do we hold things generously with people? I can jump in. Uh, One of the things, this has been a very difficult question for me to to figure out because some, it feels like sometimes I do need some time to think when these questions come my way as a, as a priest. And one of the, maybe a rule of thumb, or maybe it's just a really well-worn path studying how Jesus, like how he would um, deal with arrangements of power was to always consider this sort of asymmetrical side of power. Like who is this stepping on and whether or not I agree with them or not, if someone is on the underside of, um, a violent power or an oppressive power or a burdensome power, um, I should probably, my hunch is to identify in that space, to go to that space and assume solidarity there before assuming solidarity with the other side of power. So side of being able to see the direction of power, my assumption is um, to go low 
<laughs> right? It's, if that makes sense, to go to the people who are being most directly pinched or burned or oppressed by this thing. And then from that place, actually, to ask some questions and to look around and listen. Um, because oftentimes when I'm not there, I can't understand what's going on until I put my body in contact with or in, in proximity with these people and say, Hey, help me understand. Um, so like, I think the temptation for me, for my type as would be to sort of step back and get a big context picture, weigh all the facts and sort of come to a conclusion, um, which sounds nice, but it, it doesn't put you in proximity of the people who are hurting. And that is, I think where the most revelatory insights in my life have occurred. And that's where we find Jesus oftentimes. I don't know why it's taking me so long to figure that out, but I think that's who he is. I think that's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that question and, you know, I, I think I, I, I tend to resist having sort of a formula for answering this question, right? Because I think we are, there, there's an instability about these questions that is actually built into our identity as Christians, right? Like we, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think about how in, at the Jerusalem council, they decide they're going to not circumcise Gentiles. Right. And it's like, oh my gosh, we like, what are like, this is a new question, right? There's always going to be a new question before us. Um, They're like, okay, uh, we should talk about this. And like someone who knows lots of things about this, Paul's going to talk to us about it. And then they use this, this phrase, that is very central to our decision-making process at RMC, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, right? That's the, that's not, that's how they decide. They talk about it for a while. um, And then they listen for the the Holy Spirit among them. Um, And, and so I, I tend to think more about what is the kind of community that we can form that, um, (laughs) is close enough to the gospel to be able to hear um, the challenge of new questions and to greet them um, with joy and care um, and to draw them constantly in to this, this body that we are always becoming. Right. Um, And so process really matters to me Um, in church. We decide by consensus in our congregation Um, we have that we have times every Sunday where we listen for the Holy Spirit speaking in our church about what what was preached that Sunday as a corporate act of interpretation. Um, and so all of that actually feels like it lays the groundwork for us to be able to say, oh gosh, is this something where we can kind of hang together on this? Or do we really need to like figure out some solidarities and and move forward? And and also recognize sometimes we get that wrong and we have to repair, do the repair work afterwards um, to get right again with our community and with one another. Um, but but I, I greet that instability, um, the vulnerability of that identity as a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Melissa, I appreciate you sharing that because I think, I think that's one of the reasons that um, we tend to resist this is it is uncomfortable to live in that tension of not really knowing if I'm doing the right thing at this point. You know what I mean? Like, I, or, or being confronted with a question that I wasn't confronted with yesterday, you know, it's like, Oh gosh, this, you know, 
this marginalized person told me that they had difficulty in our worship service for these reasons. And I, I just, I've never thought about that before. And it's, it's hard to walk through thinking about that. And it's hard to, it's hard to answer some of these questions, I think. And so the, the importance of having that community of embodied solidarities, these relationships that we have together um, to, to provide a context for which to walk through these discernments. Um, I think that's, that's part of how we can create a, I guess, a power dynamic that doesn't just rely on, you know, the person making the decisions being wise enough to make good decisions, you know, um, that there's a, there's a trust that the Holy Spirit is at work in the midst of not just us having the right ideas about this, but in the midst of our, our relationships and in the midst of, um, our solidarities and in the midst of, uh, our conflicts, you know, and working those things out. So I appreciate that. It's really helpful. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the show. Maybe, maybe to uh, wrap us up, we can, I can introduce something that is sure to uh, please everybody listening. And that is uh, talking about the pro-life movement. Because I, oh, I was waiting I think, for when we were going to get to that. That's cool. Yeah. No, I think this is a really good test case for this because uh, the people I know who are most attracted to centrism are not comfortable with the weaponization of pro-life on the political right, right, but also feel like they can't be, you know, let's say a Democrat or they can't, they can't vote Democratic because of the abortion issue. And the reason why this gets tricky, at least in my mind, and uh, Sean, Melissa, you can help me out here, is because a lot of the things we're talking about, power, discerning power, seem to be going on in the typical articulation of how pro-life is framed, right? See, these powerless people, and you're protecting them, right? We're speaking for the voiceless, those kinds of things. And who's more powerless than somebody who's, you know, not even born yet? And so, it, would, it seems on the surface that the language we're talking about and the language that the pro-life movement are using are, are commiserate, right? Mm. That they get along together. But um, I, I, I have my own thoughts about why there's a tension there and why that's not quite true. But maybe as a test case, um, how is what we're describing, how would we apply it to thinking about things like the unborn? Or somebody just sent me um, a article about MEID in Canada about end-of-life issues and assisted suicide. So how do we think about beginning of life and end of life issues with this uh, lens that we're discussing here, this Jesus-focused, community-discerning, power-discerning lens? I'll go first on that one, Melissa. I'll (laughs) pass that along to you. Um, Yeah, you know, I I do think that um, there is sort of, as you were saying, this yeah, this deeply paternalizing sort of idea of even like, I think the categorization of the unborn, right, is this, right, we're we're already starting with this assumption of like, um, like, little tiny, three week old people living inside a woman's womb, right. Um, And so, so I just I just recognize that even the language that structures this conversation um, begins with, an assumption about, oh, we're working on behalf of people who can't speak for themselves, which of course is always a compli- was always complicated in terms of power, that um, nothing about us without us is a, just a really important call of, of disability organizing. 
Um, yeah, unpack that for people who are unfamiliar, if you would. Yeah. What, that phrase, what is it What is it get trying to do? Yeah, so Nothing About Us Without Us was, it really came out of the South African disabilities movement. And and the and the the idea was that 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 oppressed peoples, um, it, it's great to have solidarities and to have coalition building, um, but um, acting as if people without disabilities, able-bodied people, can lead a movement to, for on behalf of these poor oppressed people who can't speak for themselves, um, actually negated the whole. Deserve the the dignity and respect that was part like intrinsic in this movement, um, and so I so I think like even here we begin to see right that there's this we're you know we're acting on behalf of these of this um, oppressed group of people um, um, assumptions right about um, needing to really tie down where life begins in this really liminal space. Um, that is it that is actually medically and ethically and morally very complicated and always has been um and so and then we live in a country where um where laws are made right about about things that are um complicated by things like pluralism um right now there are several jewish organizations that are suing um the the justice department over these decisions um because Judaism allows abortion. Um, and so to violate the rights of Jewish women by outlawing abortion on the basis of Christian principles is a, is a violation, right? This is the world we live in. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's on the basis of Judeo Christian principles. Like that's the language that's even used. Yeah. Which would be then a, would be a misnomer for these Jewish organizations. Yeah, that doesn't actually exist. That Judeo Christian is like, is, is that even a real thing? Right. Um, and so, mm-hmm. so we live within this complication, right, of a pluralistic society, this liminal space between about when life begins, um, and then the 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 complications about where people's ethical and moral um, judgments fit into these pictures, right? And all of that is part of negotiations. And honestly, churches feel like they should be really equipped <laughs> to do to have those deep conversations. Um, because we're committed to each other, right? We've we've chosen this life together, and we've chosen to really stick it out through these hard conversations, um, and to figure out um, to figure out where what the stakes are at this particular moment. Um, so I'm really hopeful that churches can be places to have those brave conversations and and to move out of sort of a centrism, and without having to sacrifice the incredible complexity of all of these issues. There is no issue that is not complex. They're all complex, right? Um, yeah. Centrism doesn't mean, um, you don't, we don't have to complete centrism with a really complicated and morally difficult and obtuse um, set of circumstances, right? Those can, those can be different things. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I appreciate that, Melissa. I think uh, I, I tried to name it as charitably as I could with the frame being used. And what I hear you saying is there's perhaps better frames and better ways into this conversation that allow us to be more faithful um, and conflating conflating centrism with a morally complex issue is perhaps not the most helpful way to do it. Yeah. Sean, what are your thoughts on all this? 
Yeah, I, I don't have much more to add because I'm just sort of listening and learning here. But one another feature of centrism in this space is it often plays out sort of disembodied as, as if we can talk about categorically those people um, and this issue without really humanizing um, again and finding with – I mean, and, there, and the reality is there are people in our communities who have experienced abortions or have chosen them or will choose them. Um, and so centrist, I think the temptation there is to deal with it as an issue rather and, and not to, um, emphasize and appreciate enough the humanity of what's involved here and the people in your care in the room. And, um, and so as, as a centrist, the, the temptation would be to sort of, again, um, always be a few inches off the ground, you know, never like never having to get into the, the complexity of a person's life and what they're dealing with. And, and I think that if, um, if the church can recognize that it doesn't make it any easier, certainly makes it harder actually. But I think that's, that's where the real meaningful work of discernment can be done. Um, and not just sort of standing off and pontificating, you know, objectively and trying to sort of, uh, locate yourself between sides of an issue, but really, again, being with people, discerning and listening yeah. and then saying, God help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Ben, your thoughts about this before we close, you're going to tie it up in a neat bow. <laughs> I don't know about that. <clears throat> I, mean, I do, I do have, I do have thoughts about it. I think, I think I, what I'm hearing, I'm just learning a lot, listening to uh, the two of you. Um, so I appreciate you spending some time with us, uh, Melissa and Sean. But what I'm hearing in what in some of what you're saying is um, th- that the centrism that is a problem is a centrism that denies it, it sort of tries to float above the issue and not actually wrestle with the issue so there there is a there is an admission of the complexity of the issue that actually demands that we get into the particularities okay, what does it mean to be a person? you know what do we know about this scientifically like uh, you have to talk about that, you know? And so I think the, I think again, Matt, what you mentioned at the beginning is there's a simplicity that, you know, so say you're going to say pro-life versus pro-choice and on both of those sides, this is the view that people have on both sides of that issue are people who think the issue is simple and they're just arguing about what we should care more about. Um, And I think the impulse to to, to centrism ends up becoming just allergic to that conflict and seeing the, seeing the, the, um, the ways that it doesn't work actually to resolve anything or bring justice or help anybody. But instead of then, I don't know, this is the image I have in my head, instead of descending into the particulars and saying, okay, this is more complex than we thought we need to hash this out. They try to ascend above it and basically say, we're not going to talk about it. (laughs) You know, like let's just worship Jesus and it'll work itself out. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's the mistake um, of centrism. It is a fleeing from the conflict um, because you've seen it done badly. That yeah. that doesn't serve, you know. It doesn't serve the the people who are being harmed. It doesn't serve us, you know, as communities. Um, it doesn't serve us. Yeah, yeah, it's good, Ben. Um, I'll just I'll just add to append here is that I I think part of my desire to find a better political expression than what I experience as a third way kind of Christian was the unwillingness and inability to deal with kind of the history that made mm. being pro-life concomitant with being a Christian. 
and and how that historically developed out of a white supremacist patriarchal reaction to, you know, the 1960s and 70s. And I, I really wanted to deal with that. I'm like, hey, if we're going to have a, 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 you know, Christian ethic of life, then let's rescue, let's, let's decolonize ourselves from this quagmire of power plays, you know? Um, and uh, I don't know. It, I, nobody was really interested in that. <laughs> like to suggest that was to signal to the people that I was a threat to um, really what was created in order to build power. Um, and so it does come back to how, what, what, how power works and what it's doing and yeah. being willing to see it. I thank you, uh, Melissa and Sean, for being with us today, helping us, I don't know, I, interact with a topic that is hard to talk about, but you both did it with grace and uh, eloquence. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Let's maybe end with just um, maybe what are you working on right now? What interests you? What are you thinking about writing on these days? Melissa, let's start with you. Um, yeah, I am a part of this big project for Mennonite Church USA that's producing an Anabaptist study Bible um, that um, will is part of the 500th anniversary of the birth of Anabaptism, um, which is um, next year. And so I charge of several pieces of that. And that's, that's my life right now. <laughs> working on that thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't... Re- Sounds like a big project. It is a big project. We didn't return to this, but how asinine would it be for a Mennonite to say, you know, we're neither this group of people that wants to kill us, nor this group of people that wants to kill us. We're something in between the two people right. that want to kill us. Like, how asinine would that be, right? right. At, At the end of the day, we're still dead. Exactly. <laughs> Um, which does then, I think, allow space for a, a different mm, political imagination yeah. to emerge because um, there's no illusion that the left or the right or that side or this side uh, yeah. has a little bit of good. You know, we just need to s- sprinkle in a little bit of that good. Um, Sean, what are you working on these days? My sermon coming up <laughs> um, this week. You know, just keep it real, y'all. <laughs> Oh man, we've got some Jerish st- life has, has got me busy. Um, but there are things on, on the horizon that I would like it after. And it's really in the space of these kinds of conversations um, regarding uh, the way that the liturgy and mission are related and that sort of added layer that recently I'm revisiting with this. Cause that was sort of the focus of my doctoral work. The added layer recently is, um, uh, you know, learning from voices like Oscar Romero and the ways that he understood those that relationship. So there's a lot of like, what does liberation theology, what does the prophetic word have to say? Um, how does that color our understanding of the relationship and of liturgy and mission? And what does that do to us? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. I, I feel like I'm sort of experimenting in my own lab of a parish of learning how to preach um, learning how to think and reimagine and make decisions as a rector that believe um, that conflict is not bad, but that, um, again, descending into those particulars, prioritizing truth-telling over accommodation and just sort of a fake piece. I feel like I'm experimenting. I think I'm on to something here, and I gotta, I'm, I'm learning how to talk about it, you know? <laughs> just I'm a little late to the game, yeah. but I got some yeah. great saints ahead of me who are yeah. leading the way. Yeah. It's good. I would love to write on that someday, you, though. So I know uh, I, 60 more seconds. 
I, you said something about what Uh-oh. Oscar Romero used to do in the middle of his sermons. That sounded very much like yeah. akin to what Mennonites do at, after their sermons. Would you just? Would you just? Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Doesn't didn't Oscar Romero preach like half a sermon and then do like community announcements and like yeah. talk to people? Yeah, there's like 20 minutes of of announcements in the middle of a sermon, <laughs> and it was always this bizarre to me. I'm like, what is he doing? Like, this is he's totally like chopping up his argument and like. Why, why are we talking about pox and this lady's house? They're going to do a, you know, it's just really random. And then I realized, um, I think re- recently I'm reconsidering that what he was actually doing was preaching the gospel and then taking his uh, congregation's attention into those particulars and saying, it looks like this, do this. You guys should go over here and parts of, put your bodies here, do these things, um, get all these opportunities and then return to the gospel. Um, and for me, you know, I'm looking at that like as a huge interruption for him, it is one yeah. beautiful sermon. <laughs> I think it's, it's uh, yeah, it takes some time. So is that what Mennonites are doing? Just sort of preaching and then community announcements, but as an outworking of preaching? It's more like a discussion, yeah. right? Yeah. So or we sort of yeah. open up for, and well, and we can do it several ways. I, I sometimes will include the, like, stop and and ask questions in the middle of the sermon and then return to the sermon. Um, but um, a lot of the time, like just this past week, it was really we, at the end, we have somebody who comes up and says, you know, um, where did you sense the Holy Spirit today in, but not just in the sermon, but in the, and so I reflected on, we did, um, we had communion. And so um I offer the children a blessing because our children are baptized. Um, and so they don't receive. Um, and I always let one of the kids give me a blessing and this kid like dunked her finger in the oil. Like it was like the beard of Aaron, like the flowing of the oil, like into my (laughs) eyes. And I was like, but also this sort of like, Oh, oh, like, her first instinct is like, Oh, like really like let this oil fly. Right. Like really like, um, why be stingy about this gift? Um, you know, and as we're talking Uh, it with the sermon was on Romans and, and grace is like that, right. This is sort of this reflection. And so trying to pull together those Mm. pieces and, um, you know, some other people mentioned the way some of the songs like reflected back what they were hearing from, from scripture and expounding upon that. And, and that happens every, every Sunday in our worship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thanks for that little excursus there, that divergence. Uh, Melissa, Sean, thanks for being with us today. All right. Bye everybody. Good to have, good to be here y'all. Uh, I had about 74 more questions, Ben. Oh, man. I, yeah, I wanted the conversation to go on for um, another two hours. I was just getting going with that yeah. last pro-life question. <laughs> and then yeah. uh, I was going to move on to gun control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was going to move on to euthanasia. Yeah. And then I was going to move I, on to I think social welfare. To, I thought kids should be able to be, they should be able to exist in Asia. Euthanasia, I don't know why that's... <laughs> You Why is that controversial? Quick Google. Yeah, you you should Google that quick. Yeah, I mean you. Yeah, I mean, all that comes up is pictures of young people, uh, and they are look you like sure? they're from Asia. So, are you sure that you should be on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, you know, um, all things. 
all joking aside, uh, I do think the injunction, the admonition I'm taking from both Sean and Melissa in that conversation is um, one way to say it is learning how to see who centrism benefits. Yes. Who has benefited from staying above it, out of it, um, Mm. away from it, and, and sort of holding an eye, holding the um, pristine position that's not tainted or tarnished by, you know, who, who benefits from that. And, and I think my move away from centrism has been that that seeks to maintain the status quo. And when I read Dr. Martin Luther King's words about white moderacy, if, if I, if, if I'm not a white moderate as a centrist, I don't know what I am. Yeah. 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 It's the same you know? impulse. I, I think you're right. I think <clears throat> that's, that's what I'm taking away too. And, I, and I'm recognizing, I think that was, that was what pulled me out of, I, I don't know, just general agreement with that kind of way of thinking was I, I think realizing that, yeah, that my, my centrism actually does have an effect on other people and oftentimes what I was doing in trying to assert these thoughts was, was nothing more than, I mean, it has the rhetorical effect of, even though they're, tr- these are tricky things because they're true, right? Like, like as Melissa said, well, sure, it's true that Christianity is neither left nor right. It's a different mm-hmm. kind of animal. Sure it is. That's absolutely true. But the rhetorical effect, the effect that that has is we get to just pat ourselves on the back for not getting sucked into the ideology yeah. And then, you know, and then we don't have to s- sort of sully ourselves in the secular quagmire. Yeah. It exempts us from embodied involvements in the ways that the gospel actually does need to be worked out in our communities, yeah. which would might be showing up at a city council meeting and advocating for a policy, right? That yeah. might be, yes, backed yeah. by one of the political parties, but we're so afraid of being seen as Democrat or Republican. We're so, be- we're so afraid of being seen as partisan that that's what that rhetorical effect uh, does. And so I think the conviction for me was I care more about how people think about me than I do about the effects of what this does when I, when I assert this. Yeah. All it does is something for me. I think that's when I realized how centrism had done me dirty Mm -hmm. was when like uh, Donald Trump was running for president in 2016. And I felt like I couldn't publicly criticize Donald Trump disavowing and denouncing his misogyny his, you know, garden variety, Norman Rockwell, white supremacy, right. his uh, greed, his crimes, his 20 plus sexual assault allegations. I couldn't criticize that without also saying something about Hunter Biden. Right. You had, you had to be an equal opportunity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, and I, the Democrats felt, are bad too. I something. felt compelled to be like, uh, yeah, and Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky too, right. which felt like, I don't know. It felt like it blunted the denouncement and it did. And it was like, why am I feeling compelled to do that? Mm-hmm. I don't feel compelled to do that for other things, yeah. you know? And I realized it was this, you know, for me, it was uh, this deep belief that the worst thing possible was to be seen as a progressive. Right. Worst thing possible. Wor- worse right. than, worse than being a uh, MAGA, worse than being apolitical, yeah. worse than being centrist. Right. Mm-hmm was to be that. And if I didn't criticize, you know, Hunter Biden, you know, Al Franken. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't criticize one of these uh cats, then uh then I was well Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that, so there's a degree of self-reflection, I think, that's necessary for us, right? To like, why is this attractive to me? Because, and there does have to be, I think, for us to, for us to actually embrace a Christianity that is neither right nor left, right? We have to abandon the idea that we, like, that we're going to be seen as people that are neither right nor left. Like, in, in some ways, is what I'm thinking here, that, that we have to have this letting the chips fall where they may mentality um, and let, let people think what they think about us. And we're going to make our, you know, Christian commitments. We're going to make Christian commitments of solidarity. And then we're just going to let the chips fall. Like, okay, you're going to label me a progressive. You're going to say I'm yeah. woke. You're going to say whatever. Yeah, um, right. I just have to let that be because this is what faith demands. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Hey guys, <clears throat> sorry, I found well, the, so the, the link. <laughs> Are you still hey. here? <laughs> no, I found the link that you sent. Yeah. I just wanted to jump back in real quick. Mm-hmm. Are you guys busy? <laughs> we're just recording an outro. Didn't know you were still here, Sean. Oh, my right. bad. We'll edit this out. Edit okay, this out, yeah, whatever. We'll, we'll edit but this I out. just, I felt like I wore my jersey the entire interview and mm-hmm. no one, we didn't really we didn't get to that. It, yeah. So I just wanted to give an opportunity to just take a look. Take a look. At this um, new Austin FC jersey. Yeah, the greatest we'll team of all it for time. The listeners. Yeah. Well, just imagine pure beauty. The beatific vision of MLS jerseys <laughs> is what I am wearing. Oh my gosh! And this Saturday, I also want to tell you. I know it's amazing. This Saturday, my wife and I, Michelle, we're going to go to the game, and I need mm-hmm. you to. I need you to really pray for pray. us because we pray had a rough start, but we're going to go all the way. Okay. Mm. Hasta la muerte is what we say. Okay. Anyways. I'm, I'm more right, of a I'll centrist get back to when it, it comes to my, uh, how my faith affects oh, my goodness. MLS. No, this, you pick a I'm side. I'm not a partisan. Okay? No, pick I'm not a, a partisan side. when it comes to the MLS. I'm a Christian centrist. <laughs> this is life and death, Ben. This is <laughs> no. life and death. No. No. Anyways, good to see you. Um, uh, all right, Sean. Gosh. You could say something. Don't surprise us like that again. Thing? How did you get in here? How did you get Sean, in here? The link. You before guys you have go, the link. Before you go, Sean. Here we go. I have a question for you. And it's, I don't think Ben can uh, get it because it takes uh, a knowledge of culture and geography. Hey, um, you saying? What is the difference between the people in Dubai and the people in Abu Dhabi? Ben shaking his head to a dad joke like this is signaling. I don't know. What is it, Matt? Um, the people in Dubai don't like the Flintstones, but the people in Abu Dhabi no. do. <laughs> no, no, no. Saw that coming. Yeah, yeah. You, oh. you felt it. You felt it. That'll teach in. you coming back in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll get. Let that be a lesson <laughs> to you. Just sick Matt's dad <laughs> jokes on you. All right, listeners. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at AaronSternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to GravityLeadership.com slash message and click the Start Recording button. You can also email us 
at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.